Today is Friday, February 10th, and this is Titletown. I'm Matt Ledoux. The trade deadline is coming gone. The Celtics, they add Mike Muscala. They'll turn their attention now to the buyout market. Terrence Ross, Will Barton, Danny Green, just some names being thrown around um, for the Celtics. We talked about the addition of Muscala and kind of what he'll bring to the team. Also gave a rundown on the blockbuster deal that sent Kevin Durant from the Brooklyn Nets over to the Phoenix Suns. Talked a little bit about the incredible win the Celtics had Wednesday night against the Philadelphia 76ers down three. And then, of course, eventually down four starters. Um, That was just an outstanding game for Boston. Makes me a little keen on on Philadelphia. Um, In that game, obviously, Brown would leave with a injury. So we talked about that and just sort of the timeline of events in that injury and where they will go from there. Um, we talked about all that and more coming up next on Town. Episode 10 of Title Town. Today was the NBA trade deadline, and I'm not going to take the time to go through every move that was made. Um, but it was probably one of the more crazy deadlines that we've had um, in the past couple of years. Obviously, you had Kyrie get it kicked off, getting traded to the Mavericks on Sunday. Um, I talked about that last last episode. And, you know, I'll go ahead and I'll start with it. I'll just I'll rip the Band-Aid off. Um the Brooklyn Nets this morning, early this morning, traded Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns for four unprotected first-round picks. And Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, and then Jay Crowder, um, of course, was flipped to the Milwaukee Bucks for five second-round draft picks. And second-round draft picks were the hot commodity of the day. So many second-round picks uh, just thrown around in so many deals. Uh, so... I don't know, potentially an expansion to the draft coming, maybe a third round. Um, For Brooklyn, I think this was just them kind of moving on. This was definitely them moving on in the process. This was and will go down as not just the biggest failure in in all of basketball, but the biggest failure in sports. Uh, They've had at one point James Harden, Kyrie Irving, um, Kevin Durant, and now they have Ben Simmons. And... This group, for whatever reason, never got it together. And there are so many, there are many people you can blame. You can blame Mayor Adams for his ridiculous vaccine mandate. You can blame Joe Sy for not spending money in different areas of the team to better the core around them. You can you can blame Sean Marks for even pulling the trigger to bring James Harden to Brooklyn in the first place. But at the end of the day, the only thing that these that we will remember are the two people who headlined this trade deadline, and that is Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. We often talk about these superstar players and these different duos that meet up, and we say, well, who's the Batman and who's the Robin? And the Brooklyn Nets 
from a talent standpoint, had two Batman, so to speak, on their team. But unfortunately for them, they had Robin-type leaderships, personalities, um, so on and so forth. And from day one, there was no trust from player to organization. And there was no respect from the top down and from the players up to the top. I'm not going to spend too much time on, on this because obviously I'm tired of talking about the Nets. You guys are probably sick and tired of hearing about the Nets. I never thought it would go as poorly as it did. I don't think anyone could have. And I think if you, if you tell yourself that you thought it would go this bad, I think you're lying to yourself. I certainly prayed for it to go bad, but I don't ever think I imagined it being this bad. Brooklyn, as far as what they got back, uh, the picks the picks are fine, and Brooklyn doesn't own any of their own draft picks as they're all in Houston. And for their roster now, and obviously the deadline has passed, they have a surplus of wings that are very good defenders, Mikhail Bridges, Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, Royce O'Neal, Yuta Watanabe, Nick Claxton's still there, and of course Ben Simmons whose market was basically non-existent. This will be a probably a team that Nets fans enjoy watching because they will have guys who can go out, will get opportunities to play. Cam Johnson has dropped 40 points in two or three consecutive games, I believe, and he's been very exciting for them. They've got a lot of good young players that they can start to build around. But at the end of the day, the way this league works, if you don't have the star player or the superstar player, you're ultimately headed nowhere. The Brooklyn Nets were a team whose foundation was built on sand and you were waiting for it to collapse. And it ultimately did. For 76 days, the Brooklyn Nets looked like they were a legitimate threat to the Boston Celtics, and to potentially win an NBA championship. They are no longer a threat, and the 7-11 era in Brooklyn has come to an end after three and a half stressful and drama-filled years. Getting into what the Celtics did today, uh, we knew going in that there wasn't really going to be a lot you know, that gets done. This is a team that I think needed to, you know, they needed some improvements, but I don't think there was really anyone out there that one made sense for what this team needed and two was going to be attainable. They're a team that right now is over the cap and paying heavily into the tax. They're a team that really has its rotation set up. If you look at players one through eight and the move they made today to bring in Mike Muscala from the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think it's an underrated move. I'm not going to make it more out to be more than what it is. Uh, Muscala is a 6'10", 240-pound big man. He's 31 years old, and Boston gave up Justin Jackson, two second-round picks for Muscala. And Muscala is a guy who you feel comfortable when he's in the game. He's a 41% three-point shooter. Uh, this season and for his career is hovering around 38, 39%. So Boston's adding more shooting. And if you go by the defensive metrics, he was 
the best defender on his team. And he's not much of a guy who's going to be banging down low with big men, but he's a guy who can stretch the floor. There was a lot of talk about Boston bringing back Kelly Olenek. And I believe this is sort of, you know, a, a poor man's version of Kelly Olenek, someone who is, he's an all right defender, decent rebounder, but can really shoot the three. And for Boston, this gives them good insurance in case of a Rob injury, but also to help them manage out Horford's minutes. Uh, there was a lot of talk about potentially bringing in Jakob Pertl, and Boston did make an offer, and the offer that they sent to San Antonio was going to be Peyton Pritchard, Danilo Gallinari, and I believe it was a second-round pick or two, the two second-round picks they sent to the Thunder. And ultimately, the Spurs sent him back to Toronto, where not many people know this, but that Jakob Pertl was originally drafted by the Toronto Raptors. He was, of course, dealt to San Antonio in the Kawhi Leonard trade. The thing about Jakob Pertl, I wasn't I, – I love the – I like the player. I wasn't keen on bringing him here as that being your your big move. Um, Jakob Pertl is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year, and he wants to get – you know, he's looking for his big payday. And Boston simply wouldn't be able to offer him that. So you're looking at a rental. And if you win a championship, had you gotten Jakob Pertl, if you won the championship, then at the end of the day you let him walk and it was all worth it. But – Obviously, nothing's guaranteed. So when you look at the possibility of giving up another first-round pick, which is ultimately what it would have taken to land a guy like Pirtle, along with a young a young guy in Peyton Pritchard, and obviously Danilo Gallinari, who really doesn't have much value, but he was a filler to make the money, you know, to match the salaries. I'm not sure it was worth it for Boston. Plus, you look at what would his role have been on this team? He's not starting, and you're not going to play him next to Rob. So he isn't a guy who, moving forward, you can plug in as your Al Horford replacement. Um, I thought he would have been insurance to a potential Robert Williams injury or the possibility of Al Horford getting hurt. But he's also a guy who wants start, who wanted starters minutes, and that wasn't going to happen here. So to all the people who went out and they they wanted Jay Crowder, they wanted Jakob Pertl, you're looking at two guys that wanted two situations that Boston really wasn't going to be able to offer them this year or moving forward. And I just don't think if Boston was going to make a trade of that magnitude, I don't think that's the move you go and make. Uh, Steve has talked about how he thought he wanted, he wanted a backup big man, and I expressed that I wanted them to get a backup wing that can help shave off minutes from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, which as we know by now, Jalen Brown is going to be missing a lot of time with um, a facial fracture. And I'm, he was supposed to be getting reevaluated for more examinations done today. We haven't heard anything about how that went. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear more tomorrow pregame from Joe Missoula. But in the meantime, they'll now turn to the buyout market. And with the way, with some of these trades that happened today, there is going to be a lot of guys out on the buyout market that could be looking at Boston as a potential landing spot. Uh, two, one or two guys that come to mind for me, one of them would be Will Barton from the Washington Wizards. Uh, he's a guy who I believe he's shooting you know, just 39% from the field this year, but he is a 37% three-point shooter. Uh, just someone that can go in, can hold his – and he's a good shot creator for himself and for others. So he's a guy who – you know, you can send him out there for 
you know, 10 minutes, 12 minutes and feel really comfortable about him being out there. Uh, the other guy that I really, really caught my, caught my eye was Danny Green. And Danny Green was traded from the Memphis Grizzlies to the Houston Rockets. And he was part of the deal that sent Eric Gordon to the LA Clippers. So Danny Green's coming off ACL surgery. Uh, he, he's only played a handful of games this season. Danny Green's made a career of knocking down threes and defending other teams' best players. Does Danny Green still have that in him? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd bet on that. But then again, it's the buyout market. So really, you're not looking at guys who – these are imperfect players. These are guys that are just trying to latch on and win a championship. And so Danny Green, I think, would be at the top of my list more so than Will Barton, just given Danny Green's a lot younger. And Danny Green, I think, would fit um, into Boston's system more. Um, and my mistake, uh, obviously, Will Barton is – is uh, a younger player than, than Danny Green. But regardless, I think Danny Green is a guy that I would take over Will Barton. He's been in many big games. He's won championships. He was in the bubble with the Lakers. He won the championship with Kawhi in Toronto, and he won a championship with San Antonio. So this guy knows how to play. He's a professional. Um, and I think in, in Boston's system, with the amount of open looks he'd get, I mean, I don't think there's, you know, there's no reason why he wouldn't be able to have a lot of success. Where Boston will have an advantage in the buyout market is due to the Danilo Gallinari injury. Boston received, I believe it was a $3.2 million disabled player exception. And where most teams can only offer buyout guys, I believe the minimum, um, I'm not 100% sure what uh, guys can offer or what teams can offer out of the buyout. But I know that Boston has the advantage there because that's, I believe more than what other teams can offer. So you take into account the fact that Boston, where they are in the standings and that they have the best record in the league and they've been the best team in basketball basically since the start of the season. And the fact that they can offer the most money to a, to a certain player that they're going after. I think those two things really weigh in their favor. Now there's some guys that come out of the bio market and, they want a bigger role. So now that Durant's in Phoenix, I think Kevin Durant being there and then sort of having to fill that, you know, one of those wing positions, I think that Phoenix is going to be a lot of competition for, for the Celtics as well. So, you know, nothing's a slam dunk on the buyout market. I do expect Boston to land at least one guy. Um, if they didn't, you know, is it the end of the world? No, like I said, these are imperfect players. Um, Overall, I, I, I'm not you know going to sit here and, and bitch and moan about the deadline they have. I didn't go in with a lot of expectations of them making this deal that solidifies them and makes them the odd, you know the favorite in in this year's playoffs. I think where this team needed to improve, I think they were able to improve. Um, you know, the Bucks getting Jay Crowder, I think that was a good pickup for them. Not exactly sure what Jay Crowder is at this point. He is another year older. He has not played at all this year. So what kind of effect will that have on him? I don't think he's a guy that really scares me when it comes to him guarding a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown. And at the end of the day, it's still going to come down to you. Is Chris Middleton healthy at the, at the right time? Is Drew Holiday still healthy at the right time? Obviously, Giannis, that's a given. Um, 
Cleveland didn't do anything. The Knicks, they added Josh Hart. That's not exactly, you know, it's a nice move. That's not a move that's going to take the Knicks into contention. Philadelphia traded Matisse Thibel for Jalen McDaniels, a move that I like, but not something that, you know, we watched Philadelphia play the Celtics last night. And, you know, at this point, I'm going to need to see Philadelphia be able to beat the Boston Celtics in a playoff series or even in the regular season multiple times for me to really be nervous about, you know, matching up with them in the playoffs. And then there was the Miami Heat who they, they stood pat. They didn't make any moves, and I'm not sure how that will play out for them. Uh, I know just going by social media, there weren't many people, you know, in Heat Nation that were ecstatic about that. So overall, I think the two teams that sit atop the East in Boston and Milwaukee, I think those are the two teams that made moves to help themselves on the margins. And I think we're going to predictably come down to those two teams. um, One of them representing the East in the NBA finals. All right. Just before we sort of sign off here, I just kind of wanted to give my overall, I guess, thoughts and reactions to last night's Celtics and Sixers game. Uh, Going in, when you see that Al Horford and Robert Williams were both out and they weren't going to play, and anytime Joel Embiid's on the other team and you don't have the two guys in your starting front court, you're generally not going to feel great. So um, be it that Philadelphia's played some of the best basketball in the league since early December, and you're without two of your most important anchors on defense um, and two of your guys to slow down and bead uh, wasn't feeling great and to everyone's surprise uh, Luke Cornett Blake Griffin Grant Williams who's caught a lot of flack on on this podcast for his I mean his disgusting play of late those guys all stepped up big time and you had Blake knocking down five threes and hustling on the defensive end I thought Grant Williams played a good game and was able to hold down and beat, including uh, just a really well-contested shot in the fourth quarter that forced Embiid into an air ball. And obviously they, you know, the Celtics would challenge the, the call as they thought it was blocked and it clearly wasn't blocked. And Derek White again comes in with another big game. He's been great since, since Marcus Smart went down with his ankle injury. You had Jalen Brown leave and, basically two minutes before the half and he wouldn't return. And as we know, Jalen is going to be missing some time with um, a facial fracture. He went and had more examinations done today. He did post on his Instagram story that he will be wearing a mask soon. Uh, So whether that's good news or not, that maybe it wasn't as bad as we were led on to believe, Um, you know, I'm sure it's not great. I mean, you never want your, you know, your face to be broken, but um at the end of the day, this this will be a good time for Jalen to rest. Boston's schedule is sort of light. I think the one big game they have coming up is next week in Milwaukee, and obviously the Bucks sit just a game behind Boston in the standings for the one seed. So, you know, you're not you don't love that, but I think the time off, injury or not, I think will serve to, will serve Jalen Brown well. Um, 
for Philadelphia, I'm not exactly sure what to make of them. They obviously lost to Boston on opening night. And last night, of course, with Boston down four starters and really just a bad Tatum game, I thought would be an opportunity for them, regardless of, you know, what each team looked like. I thought it would be a great opportunity for them to go into Boston and kind of make a statement. And for whatever reason, the Boston Celtics, at least while Joel Embiid has been in Philadelphia, they have some sort of a stranglehold on the Sixers. A 106-99 to victory. The thing that stood out to me was James Harden had a really good game, an efficient 26 points, 8 of 14. Joel Embiid, on a night like that, he needed to dominate and he needed to be better. He needed to take the game over, and he just he never did. Uh, again, shout out to Luke Cornett, Blake Griffin, Grant Williams, all those guys. And you look at what the others didn't do, around Embiid, around James Harden. And, you know, Maxi was not great. Tobias Harris, again, I don't know what his purpose is out there. He seemingly last night was just running around. Um, just a lack of any production from the role players, a lack of adjustments from Doc Rivers, No, sh- uh, you know, no breaking news there. But I, I – like the Nets, I thought maybe Philadelphia would be some sort of competition for Boston. And, you know, again, you're not exactly lining up or, you know, volunteering to play these guys in the playoffs because at the end of the day, you're talking Embiid and Harden and Maxi and these guys who are good players that really can light you up on any given night. But are you really scared of playing, of playing them like – I went in last night thinking that they were absolutely going to torch the Celtics. And it just, outside of the first couple of minutes when Philadelphia took a 7-0 lead, I mean, they had, Boston had the game at the pace they wanted it to be at. And it was really never in doubt. And so I don't know. I, I still, I said coming into the year, the, the team that worried me was going to be the Milwaukee Bucks with an outside shot of it being the Nets. Obviously, for 76 days, it did look like the Nets were going to be that team. Um, And after last night, I'm still the only team that really concerns me is, of course, going to be the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, Outside of a bad game from Jason Tatum, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, those two guys continue to thrive, continue to play well. It'll be interesting to see when when Marcus Smart does come back, when Robert Williams, Al Horford, and that starting five is assembled again. Sort of how Derek White finds him, you know, finds himself, or what kind of role he carves out for himself when he goes back to the bench. Because I think the two or three games where they have had their full complementary of players, Derek White has kind of been—I don't want to say the collateral damage to having a fully healthy Celtic team, but his numbers haven't been as great. And again, they, that is, you know, something that that's a good problem to have. Um, and I think they will have more than enough time to sort of figure that out and carve out what each individual's role will be. Um, but biggest takeaway from last night, uh, I wasn't ever really scared of the 76ers. Um, they just continue to be 
in my opinion, just an unserious franchise when they play the Celtics. Um, and going out of last night's game, I'm still not scared of the 76ers until further notice. All right, that is going to do it for the episode. Second episode this week. Obviously, this is a shorter one. I just kind of wanted to jump on, touch base, and just give my initial thoughts and reactions uh, of the trade deadline. Obviously, not much coming out of Boston for the Celtics, but uh, this was still, hands down, one of the more crazier deadlines that I think the league has had in a long time. Just... Scrolling through Twitter was the updates and the news were just flying through. So many teams making three-team deals or, you know, unloading five second-round draft picks for players. Or, you know, funny enough, a lot of guys returning to their former teams. I know Gary Payton, the second, went back to the Warriors. John Wall, funny enough, after giving a, an interview on a podcast a couple weeks ago where he just – ripped into the Houston, his time in Houston. He gets traded back there. He'll definitely be bought out. Um, but yeah, overall, just another crazy day in the NBA. Um, again, thank you guys for listening and let's go Celtics. Celtics.